and to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. Um, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. This word has been uh, pressed on me this week, and uh, I don't take it lightly when I say I really feel like there's a word of God for us here today. So I would like to take a moment and pray for myself, and if you would, please pray for me during this time. Father God, we submit this time to you. I submit myself to you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you purge out of me every bit of me that would get in the way of communicating your word, uh, anything that would distract from you, Father. I know that I'm a broken man and an unprofitable servant, and I just pray for your anointing to flow through me and to carry me through this, because the only way this is profitable for your body is that it is your word and your spirit anointing me. So we submit this time to you, Lord. I ask that you stir our hearts, God. Prepare us for your truth. I ask that you quicken us to respond to your word today, Father. Thank you for this time together. Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes this morning, the title of today's sermon is Introducing the God of the Bible. Now, before you check out on me and you're like, this sermon's going to be stupid. I know who the God of the Bible is. What's he talking about? I'll share a little story with you. I had a similar thought one day as I sat down in biology class at Mercer. When on the PowerPoint projector it said, today we're going to talk about leafs. What is a leaf? I was like, this class is stupid. I know what a leaf is. And a week later, I realized that I had at best a basic understanding of what leaves were. And more realistically, I was totally ignorant of what leaves were. And I'm not saying that to say that we don't know who God is. I'm saying that to say a simple title can be opening up to a very complicated thing that we have to deal with, things that we need to know. And while I don't care if you guys know about leaves, I do care, and God does care, that you know him and that you know the God of the Bible, not the God of social media, not the God of political figureheads that invoke his name for nonsense, not the God of the Christian celebrity that'll stand in front of you and say, he, you're perfect. You don't even really need God. Uh, we just pray to him to get what we want. That's nonsense. That is not the God of the Bible. That is somebody else. And if your faith is in him and your salvation is based in him, then you have no covering. And so we need to be sober-minded when we think of who God is. He is the God of the Bible. And if that doesn't inspire some sort of reverence, some sort of trembling in you, then I would submit to you that you're not in fellowship with the God of the Bible. Amen. I say that humbly. We've all walked in that. And this is a hard sermon to preach, okay? So if you're uncomfortable right now, it's about 10 times amplified up here. Because as I was preparing for this sermon, I knew about two weeks beforehand, and I got all these school assignments in the back of my head the whole time, what am I going to preach on? God, give me something. What am I going to preach on? And he's just silent. And I think, well, maybe I can preach about, you know, pouring your life out as a living sacrifice to God. That'd be a good subject. And I got no confirmation. And it was like, well, maybe I can preach about freedom, the freedom we have in Christ. And there's no confirmation. I'm just waiting. I'm like, God, you know, you got to give me something here. I'm, I'm down to a week. And last Saturday, I'm in the shower, and I'm praying. And he says, you got you to teach about my wrath. You got to introduce me 
as the God of the Bible because people have forgotten who I am. Their understanding of me has been distilled, diluted, and polluted, and they don't know me. I said, no, God, give me something else. <laughs> that can't be what you want me to preach about. This is the first time I'm standing up and preaching to Christ's chapel. They're never going to invite me back. He said, look, buddy, if you're ashamed of me and my words, and I said, roger that. I'll deal with that hour of discomfort. I'm not being splayed out on a cross. So why do we need to know the God of the Bible? Don't we all know that God is love, Jesus our Savior? Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough to go on? What else is there to know? I believe this kind of thinking is what has led to the doctrine of today. This is why we are not vocal when a rabbi in the city puts his name as the lead sponsor of a bill that is an overt attack on expression of the Christian faith. And you might think, and it's loaded with semantically loaded words, right? Anti-discrimination act. And you think, well, God is loving and God is not for discrimination. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Well, what's wrong with anti-discrimination? Well, nothing's wrong with that. But when you are running a, pub, a public school or a private school, and you can no longer keep the sophomore that's a man that is flooded with hormones from going into the same bathroom that your little girl is, because that, that would be discriminatory to draw those lines then there's a problem. And, and for somebody to sponsor that, saying, well, God is love, and he understands these people are conf conflicted, right? So his love covers that. And, and as representatives of Christ, we should just open the world up and let them live however they want to live, and that is okay. And the Bible says if you don't correct your brother when he's wrong, and you don't go out on that limb, then their blood is on your hands. Okay? So be sober about what is in the Word of God. God is not this deluded version, this all-loving pussycat that has stood up, his name is evoked to support anti-Christian ideology, to support relative truth and all of this nonsense. That's not who he is. He is an authority. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. A lion rests 23 hours a day, right? I don't want to be on the other end of that one hour when he's not resting. So what are you saying, Jason? God isn't love? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't look at one dimension of God's character and build a doctrine on it, or you are deceived. God is love, but he is more than that. He's a lot of things. Here's something we like. God is patience. God is mercy. God is justice. Uh-oh. But God is grace. I like that one. God is truth. Mm. That one's a little iffy. God is faithful. I like that. Well, he's faithful to judge one day, too. Oh, hold on. God is forgiveness. Yeah, I like that. God is judge. Okay. Slow down. Pump the brakes. That last one's hard for us to deal with sometimes. But it is true. God is judge. 
And God is not a judge in a circuit court whose rulings are influenced by whether his favorite college team won or lost the week before. His ruling is righteous and holy, period, 100% across the board. So point one, if you're taking notes, God is judge and God is love. We have to deal with these together. God is a righteous and just judge. That's a fact. That is not up for popular opinion. That is not based on consensus. That is because he stepped out onto nothing and created everything through the words that he spoke. And he is altogether holy, altogether righteous. We're like, well, I don't like to think about that. I don't like to think that God is a judge. That thought's scary. Yes. That should be a sobering thought. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's hit on that fear for just a moment. That's not the fear of somebody under a tyrannical rule. The the fear of somebody who's like, well, I don't know what to do, right or wrong, and, and, you know, they just come out and they're violent against me for no reason. I, I don't understand. Not that kind of fear. It's a fear that comes from reverence, from understanding that our leader is infallible, that our trust is 100% secure in him, that he always has our best interest in mind, but he is a righteous judge. Now, think, I want you to take a moment. Think about the favorite family member you have. I know we all have one, right? Don't tell the people you're sitting with. The favorite, your favorite family member or friend, the person closest to you. Now I want you to think that that person has been brutally murdered. And you're standing in a courtroom. And the person that has done this is standing there. You got every piece of evidence you could ever have. Video, eyewitness, recordings, everything. And you're standing there, you're like, justice is going to fall. The judge is going to give them everything There's going to be justice here. And the judge just whimsically says, you know what, I'm going to pardon you. And everybody's like, why? He's like, I I don't know, I I just feel like it. I'm the judge, I'm going to pardon you. Would you call that judge righteous? No, we wouldn't. So why is our same hope built on something like that? That we can live like hell, do whatever we want, and when we stand before Christ, when we stand before God for judgment, for some reason, he's just going to pardon us. All the evidence is there. We didn't receive Christ. We don't have the covering. But, you know, I've lived a moral life. I've been, a, I've been more good than bad. No, his ruling is just. Well, I don't like to think like that. Well, that's okay. God addresses that. Let's go to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now when this was written, we didn't understand how far away the sun was, right? But he's saying the heavens, okay? So the sun is significantly closer to us than any other celestial body. And they have figured out how to measure that. Don't know how. They came up with 93 million miles. Don't know how to check them. I'll go with it. Okay, so they're saying the sun is 93 million miles away from earth. So that is like the thing that fell out of God's basement that is so far to us that it looks so much more significantly different than any other star in the sky. So that's as low as God is coming. So our highest thoughts, our best thoughts, are 93 million miles apart from the lowest bit of what God's thinking about. And we say, God, I don't think that's fair. He says, that's okay. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. Take heart, friend. All of our ideas, all of our thoughts, all of our opinions about how God should rule and reign, they are all equally worthless. 
Just throw them all away. If you don't believe me, I've got a friend named Job you can talk to. You can read the whole book. It's really a great book. Pick up in chapter 38 there, when Job's had enough. Does everybody know the story of Job? He's just minding his own business, being a righteous man, doing, doing God's will. And, and the devil's walking around like, uh, you know, I really want to put somebody to the test. And God's like, well, here's this really great guy named Job. You considered him? And he's like, he only loves you because of all the things he has. And God said, no, that's not true. And he said, well, let me start taking some of those things away, and let's see if he still loves you. And he said, well, you can do anything but kill him. So as Job suffers these torments, as he loses his family, he loses his children, he loses his wealth, he loses his land, all of his livestock, he loses all of these things. His health is gone, he's covered in boils, breaking them off with a shard of clay, like glass, you know, scraping these boils off of them. And he says, you know, God, I was, I was always good to you. I don't really understand why you're doing this to me. And God said, okay, well, get dressed and let's talk about this. Come on over here. Okay, Job, now explain to me where you were, that how you stepped out onto nothing and created everything. Tell me how you measured the earth. What, what did you use to do that, Job? How did you shut the door on the sea when it sprang forth and birthed and flooded? How did you say, you stop here and come no further? Tell me about that, Job, and surely I'll consider your opinions. God puts Job over his knee. And he does the same to us when he has to because he punishes those he loves. When he punishes it, it's proof. When he punishes us, it is proof of our sonship. Okay? So if we're not being punished, who is our dad? Is it the God of the Bible? Is he dealing with you? Or have you told him, leave me alone, God? I got enough of you. I went down at youth camp and was saved. I'm good. That's not where you want to be with the God of the Bible. You can be comfortable like that with the God of wor the world, the God of Facebook, the God that's happy when you share a meme to your stream that has Jesus and Satan in the thought Bible that says, my believers will share this and say amen, and my believers will just keep scrolling. That is the stupidest thing. If you think you are earning any, like, if God is glorified by you sharing that post, what the heck? I bet you won't share this. Yeah, you're right. Because I'm, that's not bringing glory to God. That's you, me pointing everybody's sight to me and say, look at me. I like God. I'm cool with God. And then you like Jameson, Iris Whiskey, and Smirnoff Ice, and you know, you're talking about the devil said there was a storm, and I whispered back, I am the storm, or I whispered back, I like your eggs. You're, all that junk is in the same feed. But I'm good with God because that's the God of social media. That's not the God of the Bible. God is a righteous and just judge, and he is clear about his judgment. And Nahum, that's a minor prophet. I know you don't hear that often, all right? <laughs> Nahum, it's a book in the Bible. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. See, there's hope. But he doesn't hide the ball about who he is. And the church shouldn't either. 
And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Remember what we were talking about earlier in the courtroom? You're not cleared whimsically. It's not for nothing that you escape the judgment of God. His ways is the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. It says in the second part of verse 2, the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Well, who is that? I am. I was at a time. I walked as an enemy of God. And by the grace of God, by God's love, by his forgiveness, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I now stand redeemed. I am a new creature in Jesus Christ. But if that's not the God you know, you're an enemy. And his vengeance is being stored for you. Well, but that's the God of the Old Testament, Jason. Haven't you heard? He had a kid and chilled out. He's not as fiery and angry as he was in his younger days. Well, let's keep reading. Well, here in the New Testament, well, this is after he's done his earthly ministry. Jesus has died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, 3 through 5, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who participate such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Hmm. How many of us look at what somebody else does and, and don't realize we do the same thing? It says, all of temptation can be boiled down to three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. So if they're sinning, they're falling victim to one of those three temptations. And I'm, I was so arrogant to think that I've never fallen victim to that temptation. So do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do we do that, church? Do we presume, since we haven't experienced a, a moment like the Israelites at Mount Sinai where God revealed himself with fire, where they fell on their face and were afraid to come near the mountain because his presence is there, do, do we presume since he has been so rich in his kindness and his patience and long-suffering, do we, do we presume that that means there is not a day of judgment? If you want to hear that, keep looking on YouTube long enough. You'll find a pastor to tell you that. But that he's not teaching the God of the Bible. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So right here in Nahum chapter 1 verse 2, it says the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. He keeps his wrath for his enemies. Here in Romans 2, 5, but because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So I will submit to you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the warnings that were present in the Old Testament are present in the New Testament. And the God that we serve today is the God that led the Israelites out of Egypt. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the same power that lives inside of us. So stop walking like a bunch of timid people around folks that tell you God's not just. 
that his judgment is not to be talked about, that his wrath makes him unkind. No, that is not true. Because he loved us so much that despite the fact that by being born, by coming into this world, I am subject to his wrath. I am born into sin. I have sinned. I do sin. And because of these things, I am subject to wrath. But he loved me so much that he gave me a way out. Pastor Wade has taught us that the gospel is good news because it invades dark places. It invades bad places. What worse place could it be to stand honestly before God and be like, I deserve your judgment, God. There's nothing I can do to escape it. For me to be cast into the pit of hell where there's fire and sulfur and gnashing is a just judgment. We've all been judged and judged unfairly. And we can look at that person and talk to our friends and see how they did me. And our friends are like, yeah, that's not right. That's a bad judge. We don't have that leg to stand on with God because he is righteous and holy and his judgment is true. So if we receive that judgment, it is not him to blame. He has made a way of escape for us. And not just some way like, okay, just come over here and do these things. No, it's a free gift that is given freely to us for us to receive. And what did he give? His only begotten son. We were not saved by the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is our covering. So I ask you, do we take advantage of God's grace and mercy? I have. There's been times when I do. And I hate that about myself, right? God is such a good God. He's such an honest and pure judge. And he saved me from what I justly should be given. And then the measure of forgiveness and mercy that he's given to me is mistreated. I, I care for it poorly at times. But have heart, friend. That happens to all of us. That is a struggle. We are living in conflict, not because there's a contradiction in the word of God, because we live in a contradictory state. If we are alive in our spirit, and we want, we, but we are not glorified, so we have this humanly body, so there's a fight, a contradiction going on inside of us. But that is not excuse to live in rebellion. That is not an excuse or a license to mistreat, mishandle, and do whatever we want and say, well, God's just love, baby, so do whatever you want. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Now, Revelation, that's the book that John wrote when he was exiled on Patmos. And he got to have a vision to to see, to leave his body and see heaven. And some of the things that he saw, we tremble when we read these, when we study these. Because this is not fiction. This is the end. This is what's going to happen. In Revelation 19, 1 through 3, he writes... 
After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Now catch that. What's happening right now? They're in the throne room of God, where the 24 elders cast their throne, their, their crowns before the throne and bow and worship God, where angels cover their face and say, Holy, holy, holy. This is where they are. And they're rejoicing and there is worship. And at the same time, the smoke of God's judgment rises up forever and ever. And that is the right and just destination for all of us. But God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he gave us a way of escape. We should all receive his judgment. We all deserve his judgment. God is love and he has compassion on us. So point number two, if you're taking notes, God is love and God is truth. And we have to take these together. Because God's love for us is never going to violate his truth. And if we stand up an idea that is contrary to Scripture, contrary to the character of God, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Yes, he loves us. But it, his love will not violate truth. Well, what is truth? We don't have time for that. So, go into Psalms. Chapter 7, 10 through 11. This is a psalm that David wrote. Now we like verse 10. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. Uh-oh, there's a verse 11. God is an honest judge, and he is angry with the wicked every day. So what? God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are right and true. But God is an honest judge, and he's wicked with the angry, or angry with the wicked every day. So yes, he loves you. But if you're living in open sin, if you're living in rebellion, if you are living, if you're living the life of a wicked person, he's storing up a wrath for you. In Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Dang, I've done that. A lying tongue. Not looking good for me. And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Now, if you made it through that list without anything jumping out to you as like, oh, no, I've done that, then don't worry, you've broken another law. So <laughs> go ahead and pack up your self-righteousness and go hang out with the other Pharisees. <laughs> the Lord hates these things. Shedding of innocent blood. We're in a country right now that sheds innocent blood by the thousands, the hundreds of thousands and the millions on a, on a basis, a daily basis, monthly basis, yearly basis. And we say, no, well, that's a woman's right to choose. That's the autonomy of being a woman. No, 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 no. That's a woman's right to health care. 
If we say that you shouldn't do that, then, then you're, you're just anti-woman. You're against all of women's suffrage and everything. If you're anti-abortion, you hate women. It's like, no. God says he hates this. It's an abomination to him to shed innocent blood. I can't stand over here with you because I am set apart. God has done something different in my life. My spirit is awake. And if I endorse this, I am doing something that the Lord hates. I find myself at odds with God. What are you if you are at odds with someone? You are an enemy. What happens when you are an enemy of God? Wrath is being saved up for you. Jesus is plain. You, you think a preacher talks about hell too much? Get out your Bible. Read all the red letters. Jesus talks about hell probably more than anybody. And they'll be like, well, Jesus was so loving. He hung out with sinners. And yeah, he did that. But they were not his friend. They didn't love him. He went to the sick because he's the doctor. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Well, wait, Jason, I thought you said we can't do anything to save ourselves. Now it says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, well, this is where we have to study. You have to study, work to show yourself approved. You, so that you do not work as, uh, so you're not ashamed of what you've done. You're not proved, you're not standing in front of God ashamed that you rightly divide truth. So if I say, if I look at this and I say, well, just do the will of the Father and you're good. You know, but he that does the will of the Father, he's good. He'll, he'll come into heaven. Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. It says, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. It is not of works. Let any man, no man can boast in that. But we are the workmanship of God. And he has prepared works for us in advance. So we see a three-layered explanation of works. They are fruitless working towards salvation. It is not of your works. It is a free gift. It is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Okay? We are the workmanship of God. He created us. We are his masterpiece. He put work into us. He knit us in our mother's womb. We are his masterpiece. And he has laid aside works for us to do beforehand when we walk in relationship, when we submit fully to him. So the one here, that but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven, is the one that has walked in relationship with God, that is doing his will from a place of appreciation and reverence and like, thank you God for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me from that that I could not save myself from. Thank you that your wrath is not poured out on me. Verse 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Look at what they're doing right there. They're saying, God, look at what we did to earn our salvation. What do you mean? I taught Sunday school. I greeted at the front door twice a month. I did all of these things, God. What do you mean you don't know me? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We can't work our way in it. We can't earn it. Our works come from the place of salvation. When our spirit is quickened and awakened and we come into relationship with God and he reveals to us a plan that he has, works that he has prepared for us in the advance, and we walk in that. 
Well, who are you to judge, Jason? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm flawed and broken and jacked up just like anybody else out there. But I've been given this job to bring this word to you today. And you may say, well, you know, you might say all that, but God knows my heart. I'm not worried. I, I fail sometimes, but God knows my heart. Yeah. Yes, he does. Do you? Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if I don't understand my own heart, but God does, and I can't hide those motives that I can hide from everybody else, from God, then that's not really a great defense plan. We're so used to falling back on this. Well, God knows my heart. I have good intentions pretty much, you know. I just don't feel like putting any skin in the game. Well, your heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick, and we don't understand it. So yes, God knows your heart. Be aware of that. The thing you say to placate your friend that's trying to get you to church, or whatever it is, when we drop that little, well, God knows my heart, so I'm good. Like, no, be afraid. God knows your heart. And once again, we've talked about the kind of fear here, the reverent fear. The fear of knowing who we follow is altogether good, altogether holy, altogether righteous. And God is love, guys. If you feel beat up this morning, know that God is love. All these other things are true, and God is love. He has fulfilled the law on our behalf. He did what we could not do. Everybody knows John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We like to take that one and hold on to that one. And it says, but the enemies of God are storing wrath for themselves. I don't really want to, no. No, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about God, is, God loves the world so much that, yeah, he does. He loves us so much that he fulfilled the law. That his son came down, though he was equal with God, did not hold on to that. He lowered himself and came down and lived as a servant. He died a criminal's death, a brutal death. A death that Roman historians say, far be it for the eyes, the ears of a Roman to see that or hear about that. Oh, it's definitely illegal to kill a Roman that way. Because, oh, that's, we don't do that to Romans. That's beneath us. And that's how Jesus came and died for us. When God's wrath was pressed out, the wine of God's wrath pressed out upon him for our benefit. So God is a righteous judge and God loves us so much that he's given us a way out. He has given, sacrificed his son. And we say, well, I don't want to think about the judgment. I wouldn't do that. Well, okay, go back to Isaiah 55. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. My thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. I never would have thought to save somebody else that I should shatter my son for anybody else's benefit. To save one person. I don't think like that. Don't be so eager to appreciate the things that are not your ways when they go in favor for you or when they're comfortable to hear and try to disregard the things that aren't going your way or that are hard to deal with. It's the same God. Don't be deceived. 
God's love will never violate his truth. Point number three, if you're taking notes. To know God fully, we must search the Holy Spirit. And this is where I've been hit hard with conviction this week, if our musician would come. My, my conviction. We have the relationship that we want with God. All of this, oh, I wish I was closer to God. I wish this, that's fruitless. Stop. Save it for your mom. You have the relationship you want. To know God fully, we must search the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit knows the depths of God. Jesus told the woman of the well, we, you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 14, Paul writes this. Now, I'm not going through the whole thing. He began with a comparison of worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom and God's wisdom and just totally, you know, blew the back out on earthly wisdom. And so he continues here in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For he knows a person's thoughts, ex who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Pay attention here. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They're folly to him. Why are they folly to him? He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When we are dead in our trespasses and sin, we are dead in our spirit. Our soul, Pastor John has taught us this, our soul will cry out because we hear the word, the preached word, and our soul cries out. Says, I don't know that God. I don't know the God of the Bible. I thought I knew God. It's not the God on Facebook. It's not the God that people think is politically correct. I want to know this God. And the Holy Spirit quickens you. The Father draws you. And Jesus is the access. Jesus has made the way for us to walk in relationship with God. For us to be standing righteous in front of God. Not because we're good or special, but because He paid the price for us. He has satisfied God's judgment on our behalf. Walk in relationship with Him. Don't let your spirit man die or be dull. Those, are, those things are folly to them. But we've received the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world. We'll give you five real quick. The, the five ways to become a good disciple of Christ, a true disciple of Christ, all right? This, this is your get, get, get rich quick scheme right here. Find your Bible, pick up your Bible, open your Bible, read your Bible, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Say, I can't understand the Bible, man. It's just hard. Get a New Living Translation. Get a New Living Translation study Bible. It's plain English. It'll walk you through some things. But don't get so drawn into that explanation that you don't give the Spirit time to teach you. The Spirit is the great teacher. The Spirit of God. We, come, we are sealed with the Spirit. He's our comforter and our teacher. 
He is altogether good. He is there for us. So I would submit to you that if you want to know God better, you have to desperately search the Holy Spirit. And that's where I know I've fallen short. I know times I compromise, I get busy, I have bills to pay, I got a job to do, I got a paper to write. Why is it the soft part of my budget is time with God? Why is it the soft time, part of my budget is spend, spending time earnestly seeking the Holy Spirit so that I can know God better? When I stand before God, I won't care what my grade point average was in college. I'll care that I lived a life submitted to Him. That I did the will of the Father coming from a place of relationship with Him, not to earn His favor. Seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. Seek Him in Scripture. Wait to hear from Him and seek Him desperately. If you want to know God more, seek the Holy Spirit. It says right there, who, who knows the thoughts of God than, better than the Spirit of God? No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to seek? The Spirit of God. In a moment, I want to open up the altars and allow you to come forward if you'd like. If you find yourself in a place today where you say, I've never met that God before. I don't know that God. I thought I was okay with God, but my heart's beating out of my chest right now. The Holy Spirit is quickening you and He's calling you home. If that's you today, I just ask that you respond. Right here at the altar, Jesus is waiting on you. It's not me, it's not Christ's chapel. Jesus, the one who bore your punishment, the one who paid your tab so that you don't have to face the judgment of God that you rightly deserve is here waiting for you. If you find yourself in a place where you've, you're convicted like I was about not desperately seeking God, about wishing on one hand that I knew God better and then not putting in the work on the other and being frustrated in my lack of response from the Spirit, I invite you to come. Make a commitment to, to say, God, re revitalize me, refresh me, fill me with your spirit. Ignite a hunger in me, Father. Ignite a hunger in me that I desperately seek your spirit. It's not something I do as a religious like ritual. It's something I do earnestly from the bottom of my heart because I want to know you, God. I want to know how. You could consider me knowing all the things that I've done. Why you would send your son for that punishment. And I care so little about that. That I don't spend time in prayer. That I don't spend time in your word. That I'm embarrassed about what my friends will think about me. I just invite you all to come and worship and seek God at the altar. And I'm going to join you.
You don't have to get up and leave, guys. Church family, would you stand with us? For our musician, just play for us, please, this morning. There's nothing I can add to today, and I'm not going to. I just want to close in clarifying for our guests and those that are new to our church. The Bible is food for the soul. It's a light. It's a lamp. But it's a fire too. It not only warms the soul of a Christian, but it burns at the things that are contrary to our carnal man. And uh, you preached the Word of God this morning, buddy. I felt warm and convicted. That's 
a, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. We, we got to shake that idea off. It's like a fire that burns and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces, the hard parts of our heart. For those of you that have, here's an appeal to let you know what you've been missing. Jason teaches Sunday school. Of course, in December, we have our time off in that grill. We ought to have 200 people in that grill. So you explain to God why you wouldn't want to be taught the word of God in that room. Anyway, throw that out there. Jason, I just want to echo you and I've had all these conversations. I just want to tell you publicly, first of all, how grateful I am that the Lord has sent us teachers and preachers like Pastor Wade and then raising up a preacher like Jason in our midst. And I just want to confirm your calling. Just continue to walk humbly before the Lord. And uh, man, I just, when I talked to you this morning and I told you, I told him, I said, I'm looking forward to hearing the word of God this morning. And we did. Can all God's people say amen. <laughs> Pastor Wade. Now I know how preachers are. They hear preaching and they want to preach. You just, you don't get to preach. You just pray over us this morning. Ain't that the truth? Man. Can we walk away from here and not harden our hearts as our fathers did? It's so easy to, isn't it? So easy to, to hear a word from God and walk away and forget it. But we don't. So Lord, would you keep our hearts humble? Would you keep our minds steadfast in the peace of Christ so that we can walk humbly in discipline? Because it proves your son, our sonship, our daughtership. God, this day we have heard from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you would call us deeper into your things, that you're not done, that you haven't been, you haven't quit shaping our lives into your purpose, but you're still doing that. And so today, God, let us turn to your word. Let us turn to your call. Let us turn to that conviction in our heart that we would fall at your face again and worship you because you are worthy. Now let it burn in our hearts today as we go, God, that we don't quickly move into this season and forget that it's you that we celebrate, that it's you that we turn to, it's you that we love, it's you that we fall upon so that the wrath of God is satisfied in you and not in us. And we praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. Go in the Lord today.